Most mornings, I like to wake up with a nice cold glass of judging others. Something about being slightly superior to other people really gets my day going. Some days, I look out my window and judge the people outside. Some days, I'll pick up a tabloid from the supermarket so I can judge celebrities. I bring a pocket atlas to work with me, so that on my coffee break, I can judge the people of Uruguay and other countries with odd names. On Sundays, I judge the non-churchgoers as I drive to church. Then I get to church and judge the people in there too. God must be really pleased with me, since he is the ultimate judge, and I am following in his footsteps. I can't wait to hear him tell me how proud he is of me. These have been Deep Thoughts from a Shallow Christian. I'm glad you laughed. I was sitting at my desk, and I was looking through the different videos that we had available, and I picked this one. I sat there laughing. No sooner did I do that, you know, I taught this last week at Wakefield, the other site. That Friday night, I found myself being one of those uh, scenarios there in that video that we, that we saw. And then this week, again, I was at a conference, and I'm like, Lord, okay, I get it, I get it. Um, but the, the, the problem is we think that we know what's right, you know, what God wants perfectly, and we move boldly in that, and we know what's right for us, and I think I know what's right for you. And the, the problem is, is that we're imperfect. And with that, when two perfect and people, people come together, what happens is there's tension, and there's hurts. I hurt you, you hurt me. And so this idea of kingdom living, what does it look like? That's why we wanted to do this series, because we want to answer the question, what does it mean for a Christ follower, the one who has the power in the presence of God himself dwelling within, what does it mean for them to walk through life? What does that look like? What does it mean to be all that God wants you to be? And so we put this series in place. You see, God knew that there would be tension in the kingdom. He knew that we weren't perfect. You know, you know that. That's Christ came. But, you know, he had Jesus sit down on a hillside and give us some instructional teaching about what it looks like to do kingdom living. Donnie last week told you that, that that's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's the largest collection of Jesus' teaching right there in one spot. And that's what we're using as we go through this series. And I want to continue in that uh, this week. So the ushers are going to come down with Bibles. If you don't have one, just kind of signal to them. They'll give you one. And know that when you come in, uh, you'll see a table full of Bibles. So if you forget your Bible one week, just grab one when you come in. But signal to them if you don't have one today. We believe that the words in there are true. We also believe that it's required reading. If you want to get that, the answer to the question, what does God want? That's required reading. And so we you know, just encourage you to pick one up. It's yours to keep. But Jesus was on this hillside, and you got to understand who his audience was. It was his followers, the disciples. And one thing you got to know about them is they were heavily influenced by a culture that was so set on, or, or they just cared about what was out there on the external. Didn't matter what was going on inside, in the mind, in the heart. 
That didn't matter. But as long as you were presenting right and doing the right things and sacrificing the right stuff, that's what mattered. And here Jesus comes and he flips that outside-in living on its head. And he starts to talk about inside-out living because he knows that it takes a transformation inside, a change inside for a difference to be made. Because if a change is made here, it's going to be reflected on the outside. That's just the way it works. And so he talked about the inside. Now you may say, well, wait a minute, this whole Sermon on the Mount thing, that's like God's, if he's giving us instructions, well, that's kind of God level up here. There's no way we'll ever kind of attain that. I want to challenge you this morning as, and in this series, these are practical teachings. They're practical because of this. If you know the king, if you are a Christ follower, you have the power and the presence of, of God dwelling within. Anything is possible. If you take that and couple it with an obedient heart, anything can happen. So these are practical teachings. Last week, Donnie came and spoke about what does it mean for a Christian to be salt and light? And we saw that, wow, it, we are to have an influence. We are to make an impact. We're to invest and invite. There's this thing about influence. Today, we're going to kind of continue to look not at the individual, but how individuals relate to one another. I want to start, we're going to be in chapter 7 of Matthew so if you would go there with me this morning, uh, for the Bibles that we just handed out, it would be page 673. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2 to start with. Jesus says these words, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So the, he says, do not judge. And when you look at the meaning of that word judge, it means to come to a conclusion, to make a decision, to make up one's mind. And you'll see this morning the context of it is sin. So he's saying, do not judge. But if you read, and we're going to do it, we're going to look at three through five, and we're going to look at some supporting text. You'll also see that there's kind of an implication that there's some sort of judging that is to go on. So what is it? Is it to judge? Or, or not to judge. Now, you may have an answer to that question. You may immediately say, no, 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 no. You don't judge because judging would be unloving. Sometimes you hear that. Or don't judge because what's true for you, Rom, is not true for somebody else. Or don't judge because judging creates division. It breaks unity. This one you've definitely heard. Don't judge. There is only one judge truth to that. Or it's not about what you believe. It's more about pleasing God and loving others. That's what it's about. Now, I will tell you that those statements are absolutely true for certain things, but it's half the truth. Those are true. When we apply, it's, it's like the method of judgment, the application of it. That can be messed up. And then you hear those statements. So yes, absolutely, those are true. But to say that the, that half-truth is the full truth, that's what I want to challenge us on this morning because there's some other truths about this that I, I want to talk about as well. 
For instance, the loving others, that it would be unloving to judge. Is it really? Proverbs 27, 6 says this, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but the enemy multiplies kisses. The wounds from a friend can be trusted, but the enemy multiplies kisses. Have you ever come alongside somebody, approached somebody because you didn't want them to go down some road of destruction? You saw the end and you didn't want them to go that way because it would be painful. It wouldn't be life-giving. If you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You have to do that. Now, it takes courage to do that. That's not easy. It takes courage. And then it hurts. It says the wounds from a friend. That implies it's, it can hurt. But what comes out of it, the life lessons that are learned and the consequences that are avoided, those are priceless. And I would argue that it would be heartless, it would be unloving if we were not to set forth and approach somebody to come to a conclusion, to make a decision. If we were not to do those things, it would be unloving as well. Now, for that argument that says, well, what's true for you may not be true for the other person. I would say, first of all, who's the con? Who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to the disciples. He's talking about those who live in a kingdom and they're trying to follow their leader himself. And what does he say? John 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then later on in John 17, when he's praying for his disciples and he's praying for future believers, he says this, They are not of this world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is the truth. We are not called as Christians to live by our own morality. We are called to a standard higher than that. We do have an absolute truth, and that is God's word. So we're to live to that, not to our own morality. Then people say, well, wait a minute, judging divides. It, 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 oh boy, it can, and it can do it quickly if not done right. But think about it. what is unity? Unity is about rallying around the truth. It's coming together. There's power in that. There's unity. Well, if truth is relative and there's confusion around the truth, that does just as much harm to unity as, you know, just doing it the wrong way. So it's important that unity be built around the truth. And it is true that argument says, the Bible says that we are not to be a judge. That people may pull out James 4, where James is dealing with a situation in the church and he's speaking to some Jewish Christians. He says this, there's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? And then Paul, when he's dealing with a situation in the Roman church, he says some similar words. He said, who are you to judge someone else as someone else's servant? To his own master, he stands or falls and he'll stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. So the Bible does call out, we are not to be judge. But if you're talking about pleasing God, how do we do that if we do not employ our critical faculties? 
You know, to, to make a decision, to know what is good and right. How do we do that? Because he, he gives us some instructions that we are to do and please him. So how do we satisfy these? Like the sin of a brother. Matthew 18, it says, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. How do you do that if you don't employ some form of judgment? In, in, with respect to church discipline, Paul was talking about some immorality going on within the church. He says this, What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man inside. And then you read in John, you read Jesus, he's saying test. Test so that you will know. Well, how do you, I mean, how do, you do that without, like I said, employing some form of of your critical faculties to know what is right and wrong, good and evil. Jesus was getting at something much bigger than just the external act of judging. He was getting at the attitude of the heart, the inside. You see, one thing you need to know right up front is God does not want us to play judge, to be judge, jury, and uh, prosecutor. We tend to do that. And I'm sorry for this illustration. I'm so short it does nothing to, to get me up and above everybody. But just imagine there's like four of these and I'm much taller and I'm way above you. When we start to play God and we start to be judge, there's this element where we're above the other person, where we start to look for the, we're just looking for negative stuff going on. Ah, and we find it. Then we were like, oh, you're going to pay. What are you going to do now? See, this is, it's very, it's a critical spot, very destructive when we're playing judge. He does not want us to play judge. Ken Sand, in an article uh, titled Judging Others, Dangers of Playing God, says this, like spiritual cholesterol in the arteries of the soul, it, meaning playing God, slows the flow of grace and it can eventually lead to heart attacks that leave us spiritually crippled and our relationships in ruin. You see, this passage, do not judge, does not mean turn a blind eye, ignore. It means something much deeper. He does want us to examine the world around us. You'll see that. He wants us to examine the world. But the problem is, I think, Culture has influenced the church more than the church has influenced culture here. We are to examine the world around us. But that leaves a question. How do I do that? How do I judge and not be judgmental? Right? Okay, if this is about kingdom living, how do I do that? Give me something tangible. And he does. Let's look at verses 3 through 5. Jesus says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when the whole time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. First thing you need, or second thing is, God wants me to look within first. Don't go running to the other person. Look within first. See, it's very easy. There's just something that draws us to this position right here. Because when we can get up here, 
There's something because I will exaggerate your faults and I'm going to minimize my faults. I'm going to condemn you, but I'm going to excuse myself. And you get some pleasure when you're standing in this spot right here because you get to be self-righteous doing all this stuff, but I never have to feel the pain, the guilt, the shame when I start to look inside. So this, this is a pretty attractive spot. But God calls us, no, look within first. You would say, well, what's that look like? Well, a lot of times, and you've heard this said before, we point out things in others that we don't like in ourselves. So maybe you go to the Lord in prayer and say, help me to see with your eyes today. Help me to see that log in my own eye. You know, I'm, I'm pinpointing this in other people. Help me to see that. And then let me know, is that something that's really going on with me? Just take the preacher space, the fallen preacher space. How many times has a fallen preacher, you look at that, and the very thing that they were doing this with was the thing that they were struggling with inside. So go in and ask, you know, what's going on? Go in first. It does a couple things. It clears our vision. Before we go to go off and help others, going within first helps clear our vision. It says once, you, once that's clear, then you can help your brother remove. So you need your vision cleared. That's one of the benefits of doing that. The other one is it helps us realize the gift that we've been given. Paul knew this very well. He knew the gift that he had been given. When he looked at himself, he knew. He had some choice words for himself. You can read about him in 1 Timothy 1. He says this, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst, he says. And you know the, the words in Romans 3.23 where he said, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see, he knew when he looked at himself and he looked at God's standard and he looked at it without Christ in his life, he said those words. But read on. He could say, verse 24, because he was a believer in Christ. He tr entrusted his life. So he was able to say, yes, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But verse 24, he says, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. You see, he had a whole new perspective because he realized the gift he had, the forgiveness and the the grace and the mercy. It wasn't anything he did. And that, that made him different. As he went to do this next thing that we're called to do, going within does something to your heart, the attitude of your heart, before you then go and do this next thing. And that is, God does want me to confront. He does want us to uphold truth, and that would require us to confront, to approach somebody. Now, before you go, you know, you might be writing down right now, yep, I know who I'm going to confront. And you're like, can't wait to go, go. Before you do that, remember, go within first.
but the Bible's chock full of wisdom. And I, I don't have a lot of time here, but I'm going to run through a couple of these. Write them down. These are some things you need to do before running off and going to confront somebody. First thing is, don't judge what you cannot see. Do not judge what you cannot see. Samuel was going to select the next king because God had rejected Saul as the king. And so uh, Samuel was going to find the next king. And he went to David's family, and he must have seen David's oldest brother. And he's like, now that guy's kingly looking. I, it's him. And here's the words that are said right then. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You and I cannot see heart issues, attitudes, motives. We cannot see those things. So how does that practically play out? Well, before you go confront, if you're thinking this, I know why you did that, or I know why you said that, you're going into territory you have no idea. You can't see that. What's the stuff we can see? We can see actions. The Bible will call that fruit. So I would challenge you to be fruit inspectors. Look at people's lives and see if it's measuring up. Look at the stuff that you can see. Don't judge on things that you cannot see. Uh, another one, gather the facts before confronting. Proverbs 18 says this, He who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. Don't be a fool. Avoid that whole pain of speaking prematurely without gathering the facts. And I'll add to that, investigate or gather all the facts just write down from, uh, that was verse, Proverbs 18, 13, I read you, verse 17 of that same chapter says this, the first to present his case seems right until another comes forward and questions him. Gather all of your facts. You see, if you run off and you didn't do all of your due diligence and you start and you, in the process of you confronting the person, they share something that you should have figured out if you gathered all the facts, saying this, Oh, well, that changes everything. It's too late. There's so much. If you look back, you probably have a road of destruction behind you. So gather all of your facts. Another one, analyze the facts. And I would say, don't be a Pharisee. You can read about this story in Luke 6. The Pharisees were good at gathering facts. They had a lot of facts on this particular case in Luke 6. Fact number one, it was Sabbath. Fact number two, there was an ill man there with a withered hand. Fact number three, Jesus did work on the Sabbath because he healed the man. But they didn't analyze the facts and they failed to see the good that was done on that day. So analyze the facts. And also check your motive. This is something they should have uh, asked themselves too. Check your motive. Are you really just going? Because all they wanted to do was go, ha ha, see? I told you so. He's doing work. So check your motive. Are you just trying to validate something so that you can pin somebody to the wall? As Christians, we are to uh, give the benefit of the doubt to a person. We're to think the best of somebody. Certainly we are to observe the fruit, but we are to give the benefit of the doubt. Read John 10.10. 10. Who comes to kill and destroy? Satan. He's looking to condemn you. But Christ comes to give life. So check your motive. Why, why are you doing that? Why do you want to go confront? And then lastly, I'll say there's a time to speak and a time to be silent. 
Verse 6, look at verse 6 of Matthew 7, because it kind of, it seems odd relative to the other ones, and you wonder what it's here for. It says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Now, when you read the commentaries, they're trying to figure out who the pigs and the dogs are, but there's, there's a message here that there is something of value. There's, there's a God kind of thing that you're holding on to, be it in the truth and righteousness as you're going to help somebody walk that. But there's something of value. And you may find yourself, listen, dogs were not man's best friend in biblical times. Just know that. Pigs, they were declared unclean. They uh, would trample on anything that angered them. So you may find yourself, even after you've talked to somebody, believer or unbeliever, that all they're doing is rejecting you and being destructive and criticizing you. It may be a time for you to be silent. That's okay. There would be a time to speak, a time to be silent. Just lift that up to the Lord. Say, Lord, I, I, this is really bad. This is destructive. I'm gonna, I give you this person. Help me to know whether I am to come back in and talk or somebody else is too. There's a time to speak and a time to be silent. I think armed with all of those kind of principles we went through real quickly, you can set forth and do this last thing. And that is God wants me to judge generously. He wants me to be generous in my judgment. What's that, What's that mean? It means that you are sensitive. As you go to a fellow sinner, somebody who's struggling that you're sensitive to that. You remember the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness you've been given. And that changes you when you walk forward in that to go talk to somebody or deal with something. It's different. Ask yourself these questions like, as I do that, how do I uphold the truth, your truth, and how do I build them up? It seems so hard, I don't understand. How do I do that? How do I build them up? How do I love them as I'm upholding the truth? How do I love them in the way that Scripture talks about? The one you hear in weddings, 1 Corinthians 13. How do I love in a way that's patient and kind? How do I love in a way that's not rude? Lord, how do I do that? How does it protect and trust? You see, what, imagine what it would be like if we applied these principles. That instead of Always going here and just looking. Always finding, never making yourself happy. You get a little bit of pleasure, but you're just right back in the cycle. Imagine going from here, stepping down, and starting to deal with within first. Imagine parents who are dealing with a teenager doing some bad stuff, say. But the whole time they're standing up here and it's all rules, 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 rules and under my roof, all valid stuff. But most of the time it's being spent right here. Just been, imagine if they got down, they got on their knees and they started to go within first. Father, I don't, what they're doing is wrong. And I don't know how to do anything but yell out these rules. Help me to begin a relationship with them so I can start to understand what's going on and I can speak into, that, into my son's life. 
Imagine doing that first. And then being able to come alongside of the son. And spending time and finding out through that relationship what's going on. You realize they're hurt. They've had something, say, go on in their, with their peers, and they are downright hurt. And now you can start to have conversations saying, I was never hurt like that, but I have experienced that in my life, and I'm sorry you're going through that. And then you can start to help them better manage the hurt. Imagine a kingdom where relationships, they're, they're broken, or they're on the verge of being broken. And instead of saying, I should have never married you in the first place. Look, see, you're the same person. You're, you're finding all this stuff. Imagine if we step down from this position and we get on our knees and I say, Lord, I probably did this thing and it's got consequences. And I may never be able to restore this relationship, but one thing I know is that I need to approach you with it and do what I can for reconciliation. And in the end, it may not be possible, but I, I want to begin a road like that. I don't know what it looks like. I think I know how to deal with it, but it's obviously been wrong. Imagine <laughs> coming from that to then being able to, in whatever way you get time with your spouse and you know, start to say, you know, I probably blew it and maybe things won't be the same, but I I'm making moves toward God and I'm going to do whatever I can help me to know what it means to gain back your trust. What's that look like for you? Whew. That kind of kingdom living, that makes a difference in this world. That, that, that will never fail in the Lord's eyes. I don't know about the con like what happens, but I can tell you that you will not fail the Lord in the way you handle If that's where you're going, in and up and then out, that is powerful. And so I pray this morning that may his word challenge you not to turn a blind eye and ignore what's going on, but to uphold the truth, but to do it generously by going in and then out. Will you join me? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for your word helping us understand what kingdom, looks, kingdom life looks like with respect of judging others and trying to understand what's right and what's wrong and walk that path. Lord, for those that don't know you, I pray that uh, just through maybe some words said today, it's something they start making a move toward you and understand that some more because we do need to follow the king to be able to be a success in this area. So we thank you that we don't have to run this alone. And we can simply just put out our hand, hold yours, and walk through this. And so this morning, we put out our hand, and we walk with you. Thank you that we can walk in confidence. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.